I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and our guest today is Liam Hendricks, who had another remarkable season as the A's closer, uh, and now finds himself in free agency for the first time. Uh, Liam, how are you finding things? You know, and a kind of a, I guess, a month officially into free agency or so in a, in the strangest off season for free agents and everybody else. Uh, I think anyone can remember. Yeah, it's uh, it's been exciting so far. Exciting and terrifying, purely based on the fact that it's exciting that I was able to parlay a couple of good years into it. Uh, terrifying for the fact this is the first year in a long time where I have no idea where I'm going. Um, and so that's always daunting in the fact of trying to find housing, trying to find all that. But no, it's it's um, it's an exciting time. Obviously, it's my <laughs> the the off season dynamic is. Uh, pretty much in par with the rest of my career. Uh, nothing has been normal. Nothing has been smooth sailing. It's been a roundabout roller coaster way of doing things. And uh, I think that just parlays into it. But luckily enough, I've got a, a decent head on my shoulders. So I'm just taking it in stride as much as I can. Yeah, I mean, you've been through uh, being designated for assignment. This is this is far more preferable going into any even a really weird, uncertain off season with a pandemic. It's probably preferable to that, especially coming off a season like you did, and you have um, one of the best agents in the world. You, you've got the MVP agency, and they're spectacular. Um, I know you can't give away any secrets, but I'm expecting that there's going to be certainly quite a bit of interest in somebody that has your resume the last two years. Yeah, so actually, in, in regards to the agency, we've actually uh, we've actually changed around a little bit. It's uh, one of the agents has left MVP and started his own agency, and I've, I've followed him along. It, uh, it's called Align Sports. Um, and yeah, it's uh, same premise though. Like he's Matt is fantastic. He's been um, very transparent the entire process through it, uh, and he is very much in line with both Christian and I's personalities, which is a uh, which is a big thing for us because we need to feel comfortable no matter where we are. Like I prefer to get a little bit of uh, less money or anything like that to feel comfortable, and I don't believe we're sacrificing anything in that regards with Matt. But uh, yeah, it's um, we're we're excited for this time period. Um, Obviously, it's it's bittersweet leaving the Oakland A's organization after the last five years, uh, which is still it's, it includes a, a designated for assignment that was after the the four initial designated for assignments back in 2013. <laughs> but yeah, it's an exciting time, but it's also bittersweet because we we have friends in in the Oakland organization, not just players but coaches and front office staff and personnel that are at the stadium. It's uh, it's always a tough time going into something like this because of how much you're subtracting it's an exciting time for what we're able to kind of looking forward to but it's a sad time and what we're going to be uh leaving behind as well yeah um with with the benefit of two months since the end of the season how do you look at at the a's season and um and your own season let's let's start with the a's season um especially the goal had been to win the division and even in a short season and one in which the team was you know especially that month of september had a lot of obstacles you guys managed to do that 
Yeah, we had a really good year, and I think, I mean, in typical A's form, we uh, we were projected to win 97 games. Or if you uh, go to the win loss record, it projects out to 97 wins again, which the the third time in a row was uh, would have been fantastic. Um, but yeah, our goal at the start of the season was to win the division. We were able to accomplish that, even as you said, with the obstacles of uh, the week long delay in the middle of the season um, through through uh, the the protests that were. Uh, completely justified, and then also through the uh, the little bit of an outbreak that we had with uh, with the pandemic going on. So it was definitely a tricky time. We um, we had some double headers and some pretty terrible conditions through air quality. We had some pretty hectic travel schedules between going from Texas to Seattle back to Colorado, and then having a one day in Seattle with two games with the air quality above two fifty. Uh, it was it was an interesting period, but um, the one thing you can get from this group of A's guys is nothing really affects them. It's it's a fantastic group in there because they just roll with the punches. Uh, we, we may complain about it in the clubhouse, we may talk about it like that, but nothing will ever affect us on the field because as soon as you step on the field, it's it doesn't matter what's happening. We're playing this game, we're going to win this game, and this is what it uh, this is what it is for us. But and um, the season was fantastic, obviously, with, with us being able to do what we did, um, winning our first postseason series since 2006, I believe, yeah. or right around there. Um, so that was an exciting period for the organization. And it's an exciting period for the, for the younger guys on that team, knowing that, okay, we go on this, we did this, we battled through a lot of things between the pandemic, between the, the shortened season, between certain things that happened throughout the course of the year. And then we we're able to win a playoff series. And then we have that experience of one winning a series and two losing a series because you can gain just as much from either series. Yeah. the that I was going to ask you about that, the second series against the Astros, at the benefit of hindsight. Uh, I, obviously, you know, again, strange circumstances playing the Astros. And in, even with the home field advantage, you wind up having to play at Dodger Stadium, which is not ideal, but given the pandemic, probably a – you know, in the best interest of everybody. But how do you see that series now, looking back? Uh, obviously, it was an interesting series, just the way it all played out between the fact that we're in L.A. Um, I'm always interested to see the adverse effects of that. Like, would it have been the same series if we play if the if we played in San Diego and the Rays and Yankees played in in uh, Dodger Stadium? It would have been interesting to see that dynamic play out. Um, but yeah, obviously, this year was such a weird year and. Unfortunately, the Astros are that that team that um, they snuck into the playoffs. They didn't have the best regular season, but that whole winning mentality of what they've been able to do the last few years came through, and they uh, they put it they put their money where their mouth was when it when it really mattered against us. And unfortunately, we weren't able to do it. But it, it's a learning curve that a lot of these guys can understand. I think we put almost too much pressure on ourselves in like wanting to beat them so much that we almost, it was detrimental to our mindset. Instead of just playing that loose and kind of ready-to-go kind of game that we played all season, we we added that pressure and we compiled it all on top of us and we were like, no, 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 we want to make sure we destroy them then. It was just a, it was that, that feeling of knowing next year where the A's are going to be a perennial playoff contender with the uh, with the group they've got, that they can take that into me like, and just play that loose game where it, it's just another game. It doesn't. It doesn't change the way we play. It doesn't change anything. And I think that's going to be the biggest influence from uh, one winning a series to losing a series this next year, these next few years. 
Yeah, um, for sure. These these experiences just uh, keep adding up, and and uh, probably in a in a helpful way for for the guys who remain with a club. Now, how do you evaluate your own season? You it was kind of your very first game. You get in, blow the save, and the A's come back and win in very dramatic fashion. Uh, and then you really just pretty much dominate the rest of the way. How do you see that? Because I know you're looking beyond strictly just the results. Yeah, I look at it and. and... <laughs> Luckily, I've got a relatively optimistic uh, mindset on things. Obviously, uh, the first game was was tough for me because I was out there and I was locked in on the fact that I didn't have the same stuff I finished it as a 19 with. Uh, and so I was battling against myself more than I was battling against the other team. Uh, went back, watched the video and watched the uh, the game on, on TV when I got back to the, the house after, the, after that night. And looking at it, I'm like, oh, no, my... Stuff is a lot better than I actually expected it to be, or what I think it is. So what am I trying to fret about? Why am I concerned with the way everything's coming out? And after that, I kind of rolled with the punches a little bit and was able to kind of uh, bounce back and, and put together a good season. But my season I managed to be bookended by two pretty poor outings. So uh, the first outing of the season, I blew the save against the Angels after giving up a home run to Jason Castro, then loading the bases and luckily enough getting getting out of it after that. And then the last game of the season, I did exactly what I did in the last game of the 2019 season, which was give up two runs to the Mariners. So um, that was the actual, in 2020, it was the first game that I pitched in and the A's lost. So that was uh, a blue save in the first game. I pitched the, last, the, the last game I pitched in was the first game the A's lost when I came into the game. So we bookended it with two uh, abnormalities, but in saying that, it's that same thing it's i was able to take a lot from those two outings rather than just having that cruise on into the playoffs and that was something that i think was necessary for me it uh, it didn't change my minds it didn't change the approach i had it didn't change my my view of of pitching and that's uh, that's the best time to kind of struggle a little bit is when you can afford to struggle look inside and realize of uh, what you can do to change and, and move forward and especially in time for the playoffs how, how were you able to kind of um reestablish your stuff find find what worked even when maybe you didn't feel like you had exactly the same stuff you were working with last year yeah i mean it, uh, after that first outing I, I looked back and was like no i had great life in my fastball my slide is moving all over the place the only pitch that was really uh that i struggled with over the course of the season was the curveball with consistency um fastball slider i felt like i always had the curveball just felt like it popped a little bit out of my hand, which makes it easy for the hitter to see a lot of the time. So there was a couple really good ones I threw uh, that made everything a little bit easier. But um, it was always that one thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I base everything on confidence. I base everything on the way I do it. And I'm relatively an analytic guy off the field. But as soon as I get on the field, I like it be, being very basic. So if I throw a fastball, did they swing and miss? Yes, okay, I'm throwing it again because obviously they can't hit it. Uh, and then, okay, did they foul that one off there a little bit on it? So, okay, let's go to the slider. And it was just, it was as simple as, can they hit the fastball? No, throw it. Can they hit the slider? No, throw it. And that was the basis of everything. I think I, the last couple of years, especially, I've simplified the game so much for me that I don't overthink anything. If someone beats me because I'm pitching my game, hats off to them. That's, uh, that's what it is. But I'm never going to let them beat me because I'm beating myself. No, oh, that's a, I mean, a, a lot of hitters say the game becomes a lot 
more simple when you know when you'd basically boil it down to something like that i remember you know jason giambi was always big on sort of see the ball hit the ball um mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're kind of saying almost from a pitching standpoint that's essentially what you were doing <laughs> see the ball and if he could hit the ball all right i'll do something else exactly and that's uh that's pretty much what it boils down to it's just like and you'll see my first pitch percentage it was something ridiculous like 90 percent fastballs or something absurd because no matter what happened i was throwing every single fastball with the trust that i could beat everybody didn't always work out but it was the fact that i knew i had that trust behind it and then you can gauge everything from that uh and that was the that was that was a big thing for me is just not giving the hitter too much credit like I used to be in the, in the mindset of, okay, well, I threw a fastball and he just swung and missed at it. So he's going to be expecting me to throw that again. So he's going to be on time for it. So I'm going to throw a slider. But they're at the plate being like, okay, I got beat by a fastball. Let's sit slider uh, because that's what my bat speed's at right now. Or it could have just been they're a little later and they were able to not even think that they, they were still swinging at a fastball, but they were able to catch up to the slider a little bit and play into their bat speed. So. Yeah, you simplify the game a little bit and it just it makes it so much easier. We'll be back in just one moment with more with Liam Hendricks. But a reminder, you can find all of the Chronicles baseball coverage at sfchronicle.com, including all our A's coverage. And to subscribe, go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg... This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So the bullpen as a whole really was just tremendous all season. Um, pretty veteran group. Uh, the A's are now looking at potentially lo- losing a big chunk with you being a free agent, Petit, Soria. Uh, how do you see things in the bullpen? Um, you know, it, should all of you find spots somewhere else? Uh, because you, you know all those guys. Jake Diekman had a tremendous season. Burt Smith, before he got hurt, looked really good. There, there's some really, you know, J.B. Wendelkin, we all know his talent. How do you see things in the bullpen next year? Who do you see as, as potential closers, assuming that you have uh, moved on? Yeah, I mean, we had a great uh, we had a great group in that bullpen. Uh, it was a very uh, egoless bullpen as well, which is which is fun because you've got the mixture of the veteran guys in Petit, sorry, Deakman and McFarland, and then you've got the younger guys like Jordan Weems, Lou Trevino, J.B. Wendelk, and Burch Smith coming through. And it's just, it was that fun, really fun mix of older guys, younger guys, and everybody listened. Like, we would just sit in the bullpen, and if we weren't talk, if we weren't just messing around, just joking with each other, we were talking baseball, and guys were asking opinions, and it was fascinating just to get guys certain takes on certain situations. And obviously, like, you look at the, the careers that Sari and Petit have had, it's it's always a plus being able to talk to guys like that just because they've been through the ringer they've been through everything like petite especially has been designated he's been up he's been down he's signed minor league deals he's signed big league deals he's he's been a starter he's been a reliever just the the life lessons you can learn from a guy like that is is you you can't teach those things you can't just get that from a coach you need that's something you need to be in the bullpen with 
talking day in and day out, seeing the way he goes about doing things and all he wants to do, he just sits there and smiles. He just does his own thing and he's, he enjoys everything. He, he wants to be a part of things and it's, it's a fantastic environment that they were able to kind of build out there. Uh, and then looking forward to next year, I mean, you've got, you rattled off some names. I mean, you've got a num- any number of ways they can do it. I mean, you could, with the, the season Jake Deakman had with the newfound slider that he, that he Googled or however he found that, um, with that aspect and him having that velocity and, and not only that, having the success of the year he just had, that is obviously going to translate into next year purely based on the fact that you've got that confidence built in that I don't have to have my number one stuff and I can get away with it. I don't have to be particular. Like I can, afford to give up a hit. I can afford to give up a walk and still strike out the side or still get out of this with no issues. Um, that's been big. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how they deploy him next year. I mean, whether he goes into the season as the closer, whether he goes into the season as the guy who's going to get the highest leverage innings as well. And that's, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how that goes, but you've got a number of guys who could potentially close out the game between JB. I think Jordan Weems has the capability with the stuff he has, um, I mean, if you want to even go to the old school closer and throw Birch out there, you can do the multiple inning role. And that's the good thing. Everyone there, everyone out there can go multiple innings between Weems, Wendelk, and Trevino, um, Birch Smith. They can all go multiple innings. And it's, uh, it's a cool little vibe they've got out there. It's, it's, it's the new age bullpen where everybody can throw multiple innings at any point in the game. And everybody's going to be ready from inning number four through nine just in case they're needed. And I think JB profiles is the, as the best closer of the group with the, the stuff he has, the, the mental acumen he has in the mound and the way he's about, like able to attack guys and the more confidence he has, especially after the year he had last year, it's just going to build him. And I expect him to be kind of the A's closure of the future, just purely based on the stuff and the, the everything, the makeup he has. Yeah, that'd be fun. You know, and a couple of years ago with the season Lou Trevino had, I think we would have said then he was a potential future closer. You know, if he kind of regains that form, he's a possible. There's so much talent. There's so much ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've mentioned a few times like, hey, maybe if they want to bring A.J. Putt back in the bullpen, if they feel like maybe that's, a, you know, potentially better for his shoulder, he's a guy I could see doing that. So there are a lot of possibilities. And you know the A's. Uh, they are so good at identifying pitching. They will bring in a, a reliever or two, and they'll do exactly kind of what, you know, you or Sori or Petit, you know, those kind of guys have done the last two years because they just uh, are, are among the best in really finding great pitching assets. Without a doubt, I think um, that yes, you're losing the possibility of there's the possibility of losing five, I think, relievers between Sori, Petit, um, you, myself, McFarland, yeah. Yeah, so four or five guys coming out of that pen that were that played integral parts. Um, I can definitely see them plugging the holes with not necessarily the top of the line reliever free agents, but I can see them plugging the holes with those crafty veterans. I can see them bringing Sari or Petit back yeah. purely based on the fact that the amount of trust that Bomo has in those guys. I can see them bringing back McFarlane as the the second lefty, especially if they're going to use Deacon more in the uh, the closest role and having that ability to have multiple left handers, but. Um, yeah, the the A's are very well, very good at finding not only guys that are going to plug those holes and do a good job, but also guys that are going to help build the next tier of the next generation of relievers out there as well. It's it's a cool vibe because you you bring in these these veterans. Between when I first came over, it was John Axford and Ryan Madsen who they brought in, and then they brought in Petit and Sorry, and it's just that that kind of transition of everything. And it's 
it's a cool vibe they're able to bring in and everybody is the the character thing is huge out there you know they're not bringing in people with huge egos they're bringing in people that want to win that want to kind of help coach the next the next generation and that's uh they're the type of people that teams like the a's need because they're able to kind of build from within and everyone plays up from their abilities if they're all they're all plus two plus threes from uh from all their projections and it's an exciting time yeah i just that that unit you guys had was just really a, a lot of fun really good a lot of fun um and i just uh you know i i think everybody just enjoyed watching you and and in the media standpoint from dealing with you now you obviously it's the off season um you are somebody that has some risk factors in terms of the pandemic you're you're extra careful with this third wave um, how are you working out? What are you doing? I, I know you are taking every precaution, but how is this winter maybe different from a usual winter given the pandemic? Yeah, so I, I live in Florida, so I'm in the Wild West right now. Um, so it's, 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 it's very unruly out here right now, unfortunately. But uh, I'm lucky enough to be able to work out the same place I had the last couple of years because it's um, because of the college they've uh, – I had to go through a little, a few extra protocols just to make sure that it was safe for me to go there. It was safe not only for me going there, but for the team with me coming in. Uh, and they've been doing a good job with making sure that they follow the protocols and, and continue with the testing and everything. And, yeah, Chris and I, we haven't been doing too much. Like, uh, that's been the biggest difference is it's just not going out to eat as much. It's not going out and walking around as much. It's staying within our gated community and walking the dogs and, that's been pretty much the only thing. It's uh, we limited our travel, um, but yeah, we're just staying in and I'm mixing between reading books and playing video games and trying not to get on Christie's nerves. Um, that's pretty much a full time job. So uh, my biggest thing now is just making sure I'm able to prepare for the next season. For next season, and it's just doing that throwing program and uh, like I, I'm wearing masks no matter where I go, so I can I can suck it up for hopefully a few more months until the vaccine arrives and and we can see how that plays out and we can move from there yeah exactly well i was going to ask you um you know your off season you're, you're now back with all your animals you had a a couple of them with you guys uh, in the bay area during the season but now you've got the whole group together how's everything going with with uh, everyone reunited they're good they're, they're good they uh, they all get along really well um as as you can expect, there's always those couple of times where you need to break up a little bit of a fight. But for the most part, they've all done. They've all, they're all really good together, uh, and that makes our lives so much easier. But we don't have to worry about locking them in rooms. Like um, so, it's just that that's always a fun time when you're trying to finagle a bunch of cats to get inside. But yeah, the only time we ever have to worry about them is making sure they're inside when the pool guy comes, and that's about it. That's, <laughs> but, that's pretty yeah, good. They get along really well with each other, and we're just excited. Like. Last night we fell asleep um, after watching my my sister's wedding over Facebook Live, which we weren't able to be there oh, for, unfortunately. No. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a tough time, but we're able to view it, and hopefully we'll be able to celebrate their one year anniversary. But we had we had I think five five of the pets in bed with us last night while that was going on. So it's uh, that that gives you a little bit more comfort just having those those guys around to to help you fill out the bed. Yeah, that's awesome. Except for, I'm so sorry you missed your sister's wedding. Obviously, you're Australian, um, so you don't get yep. to go home this off season with the pandemic. I mean, that's that's a too long a flight. I'm I'm guessing that that's uh, from a safety yeah, standpoint. Yeah, it's not true. And with the with the work that Australia's done, they still have they're still very wary of uh, international flights coming in. Um, and so one of our uh, one of the guys I know, Peter Moylan, he's going down there to coach. 
and he flew in, and it's a 14-day mandatory quarantine of a hotel of your – you don't get to choose. Wow. They, uh, they take you from the airport. You're on a shuttle bus. They stick you in a hotel. Medi, they're calling it the Medi Hotel system. They stick you in a hotel, and you don't know which one you're going to get. You could have a really nice hotel. You could have a really shitty hotel. Or you could have a really bad hotel. Um, but it's very interesting hearing the stories because they don't even give you a room key to the hotel. You sit there. You pay however much money it's going to be for that hotel, and you go to the hotel. You get three meals a day. I don't even know if you get to choose the meals a day. And, and you can't leave. There's no access to, like, fresh air because the windows don't open at the hotels. Uh, you're just stuck there for 14 days. And um, on the plus side of it, Australia has had a very – they've done a very good job of curtailing the pandemic. They shut down domestic travel pretty early on. They've, uh, they haven't had a reported case in, in a while. They had a, a mini outbreak in South Australia, and then they just shut down the domestic borders again. And that's been the way they've handled everything. It's um, West Australia particularly has done a very good job. New Zealand was obviously the base model of everybody, the way of doing it. Um, they did an absolute fantastic job. They've been pretty much full born, full open for, for a couple months now, which has been incredible to, to hear coming from the States. Yeah, for sure. Um, being Australian, I have to ask you, Andrew Bogut retiring. He's uh, that's got to be big news for Australians, you know, after the career he had. Yeah, I mean, obviously his pedigree of being the the one one pick for the NBA is 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 huge. Um, his career, I think he's got a couple rings in there. It's uh, it's it's obviously a big deal. Basketball is is a bigger deal in Australia, so it's um it's a it. I'm sure it made headlines over there. It's but um, yeah, he's he's had a great career and um. I'm interested to see what he does in his in his future, whether it be getting into broadcasting, whether it be getting into coaching for the Australian team, or possibly even coaching for the Olympic team coming up in 2021, and and having that kind of mentorship for the next generation of Australian basketballers. Obviously, the Bay Area has uh, St. Mary's, which has a very strong contingent of Australians. So whether he gets into something like that and and trying to bring more Australians over to the U.S. for college and getting them into pro careers, that uh, I mean. He's a, I, I, I don't think I've ever met Andrew himself, but from what I understand, he's very invested in trying to make sure the game in Australia grows, and, and that's going to be the best way, is getting more guys to the NBA and, and trying to get uh, more awareness of the sport. Absolutely. More Australians, more Australians in, in all American sports. I, I'm all for that. Um, <laughs> um, and what are you reading this winter? Uh, currently, I'm reading Ready Player Two. It's uh, Ernest Klein's sequel to Ready Player One, which was a movie last year or two years ago. Um, and yeah, reading that, I've got a new book from Sabata here that came out uh, December second, which is part of her Ember in the Ashes. I think the book's called. Um, but I've been floating around. I've been doing a bunch of different genres, a bunch of different types. Uh, reading the Expanse series. Uh, there was a series I just finished by. Brandon Stanislaw, oh, sorry, it was um, Brent Weeks. It was the the Night Angel trilogy. It's yeah, you, I, I tend to dabble more into the the fantasy and all that sort of fun stuff. So yeah, I've been reading that. Um, during the pandemic, I actually stopped reading as much because I found myself not leaving the house as much and not flying as much. So I didn't wasn't reading as as much as I normally do. And then I'm I think. It, if I can get through five books in the month of December, I think I'll hit my 52 book mark for the for the season for the year, and that's what I try and average. I try and average a book a week, 
Uh, and yeah, we're getting we're getting close up on that. But yeah, then I'll, there's a couple extra ones. I've got a signed copy of uh, James Patterson book that I need to read here, and it's it's an exciting time in the book world because the the books are still coming out compared to the way movies and stuff like that are as well. Nice, that's great. Well, I knew the second Ready Player Two came out, and I knew exactly who was going to be reading it. So um... oh, I had that pre-ordered already. Like uh, <laughs> I had that one pre-ordered. I had the Sabata here pre-ordered. Um, there's another couple books coming out shortly that I've that I've got pre-ordered. So as soon as they drop, I'll be getting it from Amazon. So. <laughs> awesome. I will still always go to you for book recommendations, no matter where you are. So, No, I've always got a couple. <laughs> I know. It's, a, it's great. It's a, it sets you apart, I think, from the average baseball player for as, as many things do. Uh, Liam Hendricks, we all uh, wish you a lot of luck in free agency. If you do go elsewhere, I know A's fans will be uh, looking forward to seeing you, except for maybe not quite so much against the A's. But uh, <laughs> uh, we will all uh, keep you in our thoughts all off season. Thanks for joining us on A's Plus. Uh, thanks, Susan. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Liam Hendricks for joining us on A's Plus. Our producer today was G. Allen Johnson. We will be back again next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening.